You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are thrilled that you're here with us at Good Friday. So I grew up in a tradition that observed Lent. Now, if you're not aware as to what Lent is, Lent uh, begins at Ash Wednesday, and it's the 40 days prior to Easter. So it's Ash Wednesday to, uh, to Easter. And the big issue for Lent is fasting. And so whatever it is you're going to give up, the idea is you're giving up something, a food, an activity, or something else. And so, uh, so you're kind of figuring that out for 40 days. And so the whole point is you're forsaking something for the purpose of drawing closer to God. And so I went to a parochial school when, as in um, elementary school and middle school. And so and you had, the parochial school that I went to, you had to announce what you were giving up for Lent. And so, you know, I wanted to be close to God as much as any 11-year-old, uh, but I did not want it to interfere with my life. Uh, so I would always announce something completely random that I was giving up. I remember one year I said I was giving up daytime soap operas and, you know, at the age of 10. And then another year I said I was giving up something called Cardo Gallego, if you know what that is. It's this horrible soup that my mom used to make. Well, anyway, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, I was dating this girl, and Lent was, was coming up, and uh, she calls me, and she says, Bob, you know that uh, Lent is starting, and we have to give something up. And I said, yeah, I'm giving up liver and onions this year. And she said, okay, well, my mom told me that I, I'm, what I'm giving up for Lent, and she said, I'm giving up you for Lent. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, no, Bob, for 40 days, could you even survive? And uh, she did surprisingly well, if we're being honest. So, Now, here's what I want to do on Good Friday this year. And actually, I think we're going to do this for the next few years. And I want to talk about Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week, if you're not aware, is eight days. It starts at Palm Sunday, and then it takes us all the way to Easter. And so uh, Palm Sunday is when Jesus rode in on Jerusalem, uh, in, on, it rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, um, taking us uh, ending at Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. We know what happened on Good Friday for six hours that Jesus hung on a cross and died for us, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. I've always wondered, um, the the guy, if you're not aware, the guy's name is Joseph of Arimathea, and I wonder if people ever asked him. Like, hey, that's, that's cool of you that you let Jesus, you know, use your grave. And I can only imagine be like, oy vey, it was only for the weekend. What's the big deal? Um, so anyway, that's not in the Bible. It's just something I think about and probably shouldn't, but I do. But anyway, but, but most of us don't really know what happens. Like, well, we know what happened on Palm Sunday. We know what happened on Friday. We know what happened on Sunday. But when we think about it, like what happened on Monday of that week, I don't know. But it is pretty interesting that the crowds were laying palm branches on the ground and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were hailing him as the Messiah on Sunday. And by Thursday afternoon, they were shouting, crucify him. So some things happened. And that's what I want to do uh, the next 
few Good Fridays is I want to take some time walking through this week, and I think it's, it's going to be educational, I think it's going to be helpful, and I think for sure you're going to have a greater appreciation when you know everything that Jesus went through. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey, and you have to understand something if I can set the scene, is that Jerusalem is absolutely teeming with people. Because Passover is later that week. And every Jewish male had to present himself to the Lord three times a year. He had to present himself to the Lord at Passover and then the subsequent seven days, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He had to present himself later at the Feast of Tabernacles and then at another festival called the Feast of Weeks. So, and even if they couldn't make the other two, everybody made it to Passover. And so Jerusalem is absolutely overflowing with people, and people estimate that there could have been as many as a million people in Jerusalem. And if you've ever been there, Jerusalem is not big. And so it, there's just people in, in every direction. And so there's people, Jews, from all over the Roman world that have now come to celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all of this centered around the temple, because this is where the services were taking place. This is where the sacrifices were happening. So Jesus rides in on Sunday, and if uh, you're not aware, he rides in on Sunday, kind of late afternoon. Jesus gets into Jerusalem after people have laid down their branches and all of that, and then he, it says that it was late in the day. And so Jesus then retreats back to where he's staying. And so now, on Monday, we're going to pick up our story. We're going to spend our time talking just about Monday and what Jesus did as he's on his way to the temple. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 12. And here's what we read. It says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response to it, Jesus said, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Now, a couple of things that's, that are important for us to, to note. But if you're taking notes, there's three things we're going to talk about and th what happens on Monday. And what Jesus is challenging his disciples to do. And by proxy, uh, challenging us to do. And number one, if you're a note taker, is that Jesus is challenging me, challenging us to live authentically. Now, Jesus is leaving from Bethany, and if you're not aware, that's where his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lives. No doubt he's staying with them, which is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. So he's going to walk from their house into Jerusalem to the temple. But the story that we read is a little bit troubling for a few reasons. At first reading, it seems like Jesus is hungry and then flies off the handle because he curses his fig tree for not having fruit. And then you start thinking, well, maybe somebody else came along that was hungry and grabbed all the fruit, and that was the problem. The second thing that we learn as we read verse 13 is that it wasn't fig season, which kind of creates a different problem is, is that how could figs be responsible for having figs when it's not fig season, which by the way, fig season is around summertime. And then the third thing is, is that if Jesus really wanted a fig, I mean, couldn't he have just made the fig tree produce figs? You know, he multiplied loaves and fishes. He did all kinds of things. He could, he could have done that. And when I was a young Christian, this passage was very troubling to me because at first read, it seemed to me like Jesus was overreacting until I really understood what was taking place. The fig tree 
had great significance in the Jewish mind. The fig tree was a symbol of peace, prosperity. It was a symbol of the messianic age. And um, in the book of First Kings, when it gives us the history of Solomon's reign, it tells us this. It says, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's north to south, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. And so there's this idea that it was a picture of safety, of people living under their own vine and fig tree. And if you're like, man, where have I heard that before? Uh, you heard President Washington sing that in the Hamilton play. That's where you're like, oh, I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree and none will make them afraid. Alone in the nation we've made. Oh, well, thank you. You wait till I start rapping later in the service. You're really going to be impressed. I can, I, I, can, uh, I can drop some rhymes. Anyway, but no, so that, so if, anyway, if you've heard it, that's where you've heard it from. But there's this prophecy of when the Messiah comes that there will be peace and prosperity like it was in the days of Solomon. And you see it in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. He says, now look at the jewel that I've set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription that says, the Lord of heaven's armies, and I'll remove the sins of the land in a single day. And that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. And so what's happening here? If this was a symbol of Israel and Jesus is walking up to it, what, why is Jesus doing something so dramatic? Well, Jesus um, is kind of employing what the Old Testament prophets would do. The Old Testament prophets wouldn't just uh, many times just speak what God was saying, but they would kind of act out what God was saying. And some of the prophets were a little bit more uh, theatrical than others, but uh, some of the prophets, like Ezekiel, for example, I mean, he'd just kind of do all kinds of stuff to show what it was that God was doing, Zechariah was another, but, but Jesus is doing that here. And he's showing something to his disciples, and that's why at the end of verse 14, uh, Mark, and by the way, if you're not aware, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account. John Mark was the one who wrote it down, but it's Peter's account of what happened. And it says that Jesus says, let, uh, let no one eat, uh, eat fruit from you ever again. It says, and his disciples heard it. He's saying it for their benefit. Now, the question is, if he walks over and he doesn't see any figs, why is this a problem? But because even though it's not fig season, there are types of fig trees that produce figs at different times of year. But one thing is common for all fig trees. When there are leaves, there is always fruit because a fig tree produces figs long before it produces leaves. So to see a fig tree full of leaves and have no fruit is simply a contradiction in terms. If, there ha if it had leaves, it should have been ripe with figs and yet it was barren. And Jesus is using this as an object lesson for his disciples to show them what the nation of Israel looked like and that they were just living in this kind of hypocrisy that the fig tree was the national symbol of Israel, and this serves as the illustration that Israel had the outward display of religiosity, but none of the real fruit. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been with us on Sundays, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount as we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus will say in chapter 7, you'll see it up on the screen, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is saying that you can't fake being something and act like you're something and, and you're, if you're not that thing. 
You see, the truth will always come out, whether it's good or bad. And what he's showing us, he's giving his disciples this object lesson. And, he's, and, and once again, he's telling you, this is Israel. This is what it looks like. They had leaves. They had all the look of spirituality, but they had none of the fruit. And let me tell you something, that this is just a natural thing that we do as people, is that we just try to cover things up. Instead of just having a tree that had no leaves and no fruit, would have been more honest to say, listen, we're broken and things aren't good, but this is just where we are and God, maybe you can do something with us. What we try to do is just try to cover things up. Do you know that our very first parents did the exact same thing? It says, after they sinned in the book of Genesis chapter three, it says, and then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and look what they sowed. They sowed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings that our, our very first parents, they did the same thing to just to cover up the fact that things were not right between them and God. Now, um, I, I've only had a black eye once in my life. And in a very strange series of circumstances, I gave the black eye to myself. And it's true. I did. I, I was 17 and I was a senior in high school. I was in a band and we're in the process of getting a record deal. And um, so I was out way later than I should have been playing at this club, and then I had to go to school the next day. But I, I, was, um, I, I was playing, and the, the, the club we were playing, I had this drum riser, and so, and it was a little taller than this, I guess it was a bit, uh, much taller than this. So I climb up on the drum riser, and then I jump off the drum riser with my guitar. Well, I pull up a little too hard on the guitar, and the body of the guitar comes up and smashes me right in the face, and it, which was... But I was, so, I was so pumped up playing that I didn't even realize it. I woke up the next morning and I had this huge black eye and I had to go to school. And the last thing that I wanted to do was explain to these people that, like, what happened to you? Well, you know, I was at this club at two in the morning playing a show and anyway, and then kind of going. Uh, so I, I went into my mom's bathroom and I found this stuff called cover up. Now, I've never used makeup before or since because I don't roll like that. So anyway, and I know it's 2022, but I don't roll like that. So anyway, but I just got the cover up and I just gooped a bunch uh, on, my, on, on my, uh, my hand and I just put it on my eye and I was like, oh yeah, that looks awesome. And uh, you know, now, listen, I, I am married and I have two girls and, uh, and my son and I will watch as they talk about things like contour. You don't know about, Dad, you don't know about contour. Like, no, I don't. And, uh, and, no, and nor did the 17-year-old version of Bob know anything about contour. So um, I, I get to school, and I think, I, like, nobody's going to tell anything. I sit down in my first period class. And I'm getting all kinds of weird looks, which wasn't surprising because typically I'd go to school. I'd only gotten, uh, on, on a typical night, once again, we were either practicing or playing shows. So I was on a typical day at school. I had gotten two to three hours of sleep the night before. And so, um, and you know, I was playing, hundreds of people I was playing for at this club. Uh, and then I, I sit down in class and once again, I'm half asleep and I probably look like, you know, the living dead. And... Uh, the kid in front of me, who he and I happened to be at the time, wouldn't say we were friends, but we were, I disliked him less than everybody else 
in my class. And you know how that is when you're in high school. So anyway, he, uh, he turns around and he goes, listen, I only want to know two things. Number one, how'd you get a black eye? Number two, why you wearing makeup? <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, okay, you want to know the truth? I said, someone tried to break into my house last night. <laughs> and I killed him with my bare hands because he asked me a stupid question. And then the kid turned around. He never spoke to me again. So it's really a win-win all around. So now here's, here's the thing. And that is a frighteningly true story. And, uh, but here's the problem about cover-ups. And it's just, they just never work. And they may, they may work for a season, but eventually you're just a guy with a black eye wearing makeup. And it, just, it, do, it doesn't work. And we think that somehow it's going to make things better, and it always makes things worse. And Jesus is giving us this powerful illustration to show us what hypocrisy looks like. Because it wouldn't be long before Israel would, would be uh, kicked out of their country for not recognizing the Messiah had come, but instead of following him, they crucified him. And listen, this is how it always works. Instead of deciding that we need to really care about bearing fruit in our lives. We get really concerned about how the leaves are looking. We get concerned about how are we looking outwardly as opposed to what's happening internally. I'm telling you, I see it so much in our culture that we are obsessed with being famous way more than being faithful. Have you noticed that our culture is just obsessed. I'm telling you, just in social media and just, man, I got followers. I got followers so that now my life feels interesting. Do you know that there's just a better way that you could just live an interesting life and then like, just do hard things, right? Most people don't try hard things. Do hard things. Work hard when no one's looking. Then you know what you're going to find is that, but you, you want to be an, inf an influencer? Do hard things, and you know what you're going to find? Your life will have tremendous influence. But, and listen, this is the thing. If you focus on being faithful, if you focus on being faithful and bearing fruit, the leaves will eventually show up. But if you get those things reversed, and this is what was the issue with the children of Israel, they got these things reversed. And that's not the way life is supposed to work. And you end up living for the approval of other people rather than, the, than the, an audience of one. And that is a recipe for being miserable in your life. Listen, the most joyful people in your life, the most joyful people that you're ever going to meet uh, are people who just are trying to be faithful. And the leaves just kind of show up when they do. They decide, I'm going to be faithful in my walk with God, and then everything else is going to kind of work itself out eventually. Well, this is on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem in verse 15. Look at what happens. So they came to Jerusalem. And then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not, not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw it, how they might destroy him, but they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing that I want to tell you, and that is this, Jesus is challenging me to care about justice. He wants me to care about justice. I want you to analyze the scene so you understand why Jesus is angry. 
Now understand, it's Passover in Israel. This is a huge celebration of the Jews. They're celebrating the commemorating of God freeing them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Every Jew was required to appear, no matter where they lived in the Roman world. So during Passover week, as I mentioned in the open, there was close to a million people coming in and out of the temple all this week. And you couldn't come empty-handed. You had to bring a sacrifice to be offered on behalf of your family. But because people were traveling from distant lands, they weren't going to travel with a bunch of animals. What that meant was, is that when they got to Jerusalem, uh, from whatever land they were living in, they were going to have to buy an animal that they would offer up. And so the religious leaders at the time had cooked up a little bit of a scheme that was making them very wealthy. Someone would show up with an animal and the, the religious leaders say, yeah, I'm sorry, this animal isn't temple approved. You'll have to trade it in for an approved lamb. And they would just charge these ridiculous prices uh, because they had a corner on the market and there was nowhere else to go. Now, you and I understand this. If you've ever spent a day at Disney World, you understand this, right? Captive audience, you got to eat, you got to do something. And then, and I don't know how, who comes up with these, this pricing, but it's like, I'd like a burger and fries. Sure, happy to. That'll be $45. Like, are you sure? Have you ever purchased anything outside of here? Because you could feed a whole family for that. You know, so we'll, we'll just all take bites. And, uh, and, and listen, I don't even know why they bother having the Dumbo ride. Like, we are the Dumbo. And we are being taken for a ride. When we, anyway, so, uh, but there, the, the reason why Jesus gets upset, really upset, is because they were doing this to the poorest of the poor. Jesus specifically goes to the money changers, we read, and it says, and to those who sold doves. Now, doves were only offered, pigeons, doves were only offered by those who had very little means. Um, in the book of Leviticus, it says this, but if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. So they were exploiting even the poorest people in Israel who were sacrificially trying to obey God and make an offering, but were being grossly overcharged. So that's one part. The other part is this group called the money changers. Now, these guys, these guys are a real piece of work. Um, money has an image on it, right? American currency uh, has images of former presidents on it. Ancient currency was no different. Roman currency had a picture of uh, whatever Caesar was in power at that time. And so Jews and converts to Judaism who lived in other parts of the world would travel to Israel for Passover, and all they had was Roman currency. And the leaders, when they got to the temple, they'd say, whoa, your, your currency's not kosher. And so you're going to have to exchange your you know, bad currency for our temple shekel. And so, and, and once again, and the, the exchange rate was highway robbery, and this is what Jesus gets very upset about, is that people are being taken advantage of. And, and let me just tell you something. There are moments when the correct emotion is anger. There are moments when the correct emotion is anger. The problem is, we tend to get mad over nonsense, and then we take it out on people who are not the reason for our anger. If people are being exploited, that's a good reason to be upset. But that should, the anger should prompt you to do something about it. But, you know, posting on social media or this, let me just tell you, and, and someday we're going to have a full conversation about the Nextdoor app. <laughs> wow. The Nextdoor app is basically the bar scene from Star Wars. I mean, it is just, 
it's mutants and aliens in there. And, and it is, it's wild. And, and you know, and I'll be honest, every time I get an email, because I get, I don't, I don't go, I get the digest version for my community. I get very excited every time I get the email because it's all crazy. 100% of it is crazy people talking about crazy things to other crazy people. And then I just get to watch. And just, it's, 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 it's like free entertainment. And, uh, and then, you know I, know, I know that somebody here is like, well, I, I, I post on Nextdoor all the time. <laughs> well, you're one of the crazy people I'm talking about. So, and <laughs> sorry. And uh, I mean, listen, every family has that weird person. And I'm like, I, my family doesn't have that weird person. <laughs> no. no, they do. It's you. So, anyway. But, but listen, but we do this, right? We, something makes us angry, and then we just post on social media, right? Like, dear guy who was behind me at the light. Like, that guy's not reading it. You're making everybody else suffer because you wouldn't talk to the person who's part of the problem. But listen, so it's like posting on social media or next door or getting into online arguments. This is not it. If you see an injustice and it makes you angry, get involved and work to fix it. But don't get angry at work and then come home and take it out on your family. And listen, so if you're going to get angry, then let it propel you to do the right thing and deal with the person or situation that you believe is unjust. But don't let your bad day become your family's bad night. And don't make your kids pay the price because someone else made you angry and you didn't want to do anything about it. Instead, listen, channel your anger and let it prompt you to do something good. Well... Now, I, I got to be honest, this is all that happened on Monday, but Jesus is going to explain what happened with the fig tree, and I don't want to make you wait a year to hear the explanation, because he says it like the next morning, and I really wrestled with this, and um, anyway, I thought, I'm just going to tell him what happens, because there's so much to talk about that happens on Tuesday, and uh, so anyway, so here's what happens, but don't... Just FYI, this happened on Tuesday, all right? Because the first words are now in the morning. So it's Tuesday, but I don't want to leave you hanging for 12 months, all right? So this is just me doing you guys a solid, all right? So, all right, here we go. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to them, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he said will be done, will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you'll receive them and you will have them. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to tell you. That is that Jesus is challenging me to live by faith. Now, this explanation that Jesus is giving to the disciples is almost exactly uh, a conversation that he had with them months before. And it was a different situation, but he gives them the very same teaching on faith. In Matthew chapter 17 is the first time that Jesus talks about this. You can say to this mountain, be removed, and um, it'll be cast into the sea. The disciples were trying to cast a demon out of this boy, and they were unsuccessful. Jesus cast the demon out, and then the disciples don't understand. Well, how is it that you were able to do it and we weren't? 
And then Jesus gives them this teaching, and here's what he says. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So why does Jesus mention moving a mountain? Well, obviously, there's, there's an issue because they're saying, look, Lord, you said to this fig tree, nobody's ever going to eat fruit from you again. It withered away. Wow. It, 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 the thing you said happened. And so Jesus now is making correlations like, hey, you remember that teaching I gave you a while back? That thing about having faith like a mustard seed? This, this is all connected. This is all the same thing. It's, it's, it's this demon-possessed child. It's, it's, it's this all over again. It's just having faith to step out and believe that God is leading and directing your life. In Matthew 17, when, they gave, when Jesus gives this teaching to his disciples, they're in northern Israel, and they're standing in front of a fortress that's called Herodium. In fact, I'll show you a picture of Herodium uh, right here. It's, it's, it's still here. It's still there. This is the excavation of it, and um, it's pretty amazing. Now, Herod the Great built 11 fortresses during his reign. He was an incredible builder. He was also a short, maniacal, total maniac, but he was also a good builder, so he has that going for him. And, um, but Herodium is built like a mountain. Essentially, he turned a mountain into a fortress, and when he died, um, they buried him in, in Herodium. Now, they're standing in front of this fortress, which had once been a mountain, but the mountain had been moved, hollowed out, uh, to make way for this fortress. And Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain as well. But see, there's another thing that's important for us to know. Why does Jesus pick a mustard seed. Why not just say if you're just dirt or dust or sand? Uh, because dirt, dust, or sand doesn't grow. A mustard seed is incredibly small, but it grows to a tree that's 20 feet tall. And the point is, and this is the point that Jesus is making, it's why when they're standing in front of the fig tree, he's making the same teaching that he did when they were standing in front of the mountain. That faith grows into something bigger when it's exercised. Jesus is saying, he's, he's saying, look, do you remember when we stand in front of the mountain? Remember, at the, you saw the height of power, money, and in, that innovation can create? Well, the smallest amount of faith can topple all of that. It's the tiniest stepping out in faith and obedience to God is more powerful than any human structure, power, or plan. And it's the seed of faith that keeps growing. And listen, I hear Christians, uh, and they'll say, oh, I'm just praying for a mustard seed of faith. Let me encourage you in something. You can stop praying for that. Because if you're a Christian, you've already got it. The thing you got to start praying about is what am I going to do with it? That's the prayer. But now is the time to, simply, to grow that mustard seed into a tree. And the way it grows is by stepping out and trusting God. It's the only way that faith grows. Faith never grows when we're idle and complacent. It grows when we're actively trusting God in our lives. And it doesn't matter what area of life we're talking about, whether it's relationships or finances or career or our future or our kids or whatever it is. Faith grows when we act on the truths of God that we know. So if you want to grow your faith, then grow your understanding of God's truths and then put those truths into practice and you will be a giant of faith. This is why every person in the Bible that is revered for their faith is a person who trusted God and acted on the truths of God that they knew. Listen, in our story, it's Monday. And Jesus knows that it's just a couple of days before he goes to the cross, knowing that he's going to be forsaken. 
that everyone that he's talking to is going to run when he gets arrested. One of them is going to betray him and another one is going to deny him. You see, he knows that he's going to be forsaking and he's teaching his disciples about having a faith in him that will cause them to not be forsaken because of what he's about to do. He's taking on being forsaken so they don't have to. And what's going to happen after this is going to determine whether they have a faith that's real and has fruit or it's just a bunch of leaves. You see, he was stripped of his clothing so that we don't ever have to feel like we've got fig leaves and we've got to try to put on some kind of show. He wants us to bear fruit because he bore fruit. A soldier who had never seen a miracle and had never heard a teaching, all he did was saw Jesus die. And he said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, communion becomes our moment to reset our lives, to reset our hearts, and get back to what matters most, living a life of honor and authenticity. For the disciples, communion, that's not going to happen until Thursday night. But for us, it happens tonight. Because we need the power of God in our lives to live the kind of life that God is looking for. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They're going to hand out the communion elements. And I'm going to invite you to hold on to them as the band begins to sing. And as they do, um, this, is, this is the moment where maybe we can recommit ourselves to the Lord to think about the sacrifice that he made and think about the kind of life that we want to live that honors him and then when the band is done singing we're going we're gonna to partake of the elements together so Pastor George lead us please down on my knees once again needing your love again Desperately longing to be in your presence. So remind me that you overcame. Remind me that I'm not the same. Cause you gave up everything. Jesus, you took all my shame. All my shame Because of the blood that was spilled You're not leaving me behind You conquered the cross meant to kill You're my Savior Jesus King forever Because of the blood that was brings me a communion element if you don't mind 
thank you. It says in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake of the bread together. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We're grateful for the sacrifice that was made and we cannot even fathom what you experienced. But God, we know that you did it for us, that we could experience forgiveness and life and peace and eternal life. And God, we are eternally grateful for all you've done. Help us, Lord, to live a kind of life that honors you we prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.